Hi, <clears throat> I'm Steve, and um, it's lovely to be here this morning um, talking. Um, welcome to this service this morning, particularly if you're, you're new here. You're really welcome. Um, we're talking in our series in Incomparable. We're looking at the nature of God in the book of Isaiah. And it's vital that we have an accurate vision of God. As N.T. Wright, who's probably one of the greatest theologians of our time, says, you become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. A great example of about how a right view of God can totally transform somebody is when Sue, my wife and I, went to South Africa and we met, we met Donna, the horse whisperer. Donna's story of how she'd come to help at Live Village Orphanage was inspirational. She explained that she'd once been a highly successful professional jockey and horse jumper. She had tasted the high life of success in her career and all the parties and lavish lifestyle that went with that. But underneath the outward success, she, had a desperately un she was desperately unhappy and often drank to dull her pain. She described herself as harsh with people and harsh with her horses. And she would use the whip to train them, she told us, so that she had controlled them with fear. Her drinking problem got worse. Her life spiraled down into despair until she had a complete breakdown. At her lowest ebb, absolutely desperate, she called out to God and she had an encounter with Jesus that completely transformed her life. She explained that what had completely changed her was for the first time ever, she knew that she was loved, not for what she achieved, but because she was loved as God's child. And that God's love was, was unearned and unconditional. It was that love which completely transformed her character and the way she treated people and animals. Instead of expecting the horses to perform or be punished, she showed the horses her love. She would spend hours stroking and speaking gently to her horses, building their trust. And she would then gently introduce a subtle request with her body that the horse would respond to if it wanted, not on the pain of being whipped, but with the message that it would be a way of pleasing her of showing love to her however her treatment of the horse remained loving whether it prompt, followed her prompt or not the love was constant and unconditional and Sue was astounded to watch this lady have complete mastery over this horse beside her a horse that previously been completely untrainable by the previous owner and now it was so under her control that it trusted her so much that she was controlling it with just gentle gestures. And, and Sue was there and watched it and this 
this lady lifted her hand like that and this horse started to trot round the thing. And she lifted it a bit higher and the, trot, the, the, the horse went faster and faster and faster. And eventually she just sighed and put her hand down and the horse stopped. Incredible control out of love. And now instead of pursuing her own racing career with her own ambitions, Donna worked with orphans, teaching them how to train horses with love and in so doing, teaching them about the love of their father God and the power of gentleness and kindness, which most of them had never known. A remarkable story how she was changed into someone who loved her horses as she realized God's love for her. Another great in the Christian writing was a guy called A.W. Tozer. And he said this, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, we've looked at some of the beautiful subjects of God's love. We've looked at that incomparable love. We've looked at God's power that he has made so many planets and stars. We've looked at his incomparably great wisdom in creation But we also need to think about God's justice, and that's what I'm going to do today. We're often not keen to think about God's justice, yet justice is a really important part of our lives. We can see that with the whole situation in Ukraine. We need an incomparably great, just God. Justice is, injustice is everywhere in our world. Up front, central is the war in Ukraine. Where is justice? And some would ask, where is God? We all have a strong sense in our beings to see justice being done in the big things, but also in the small. I was highly competitive at school with sport, and I can remember so well in junior school having playing football on the on the, um, the field at lunchtime, getting hot and sweaty and all anxious and all angry because it wasn't fair. We should have had a penalty. We lost. You know, why did we lose? That was unfair. They had the better players on their team. It should have been divided better than it was, you know. That deep sense of justice that we have, and maybe you kind of think, well, yeah, you can identify, hopefully, with some of those small things, but actually there might be some big things as well in our lives that we find there hasn't been justice. We're not getting that good health care for sick loved ones. or not getting the right education for our, our children that they need. Maybe we've gone through difficult divorce settlements or not getting the housing that we really need. And perhaps being overlooked at work. For me, this deep sense of justice that is in, in our beings points to a God who is also just. But where is this God of justice? That's my thought for today. Where is this God of justice in the world where is such a mess? Today we're going to read from Isaiah 42, where Isaiah says something about God's justice. So let's read together. Today's passage, there's a servant in view that goes beyond the immediate context of Isaiah's day. It's one of four servant songs in the latter part 
of Isaiah. Here is my servant. Really a better translation would be, behold, fix your eyes on. This is something you need to capture. Here is my servant who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice, there's our word, to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes that, again, that justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord says. Sorry, this is what God the Lord says. The creator of heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that spring from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. And I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, free captives from prison, to release the dungeon, those who sit in darkness. I, the Lord, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you my point today in a world where there is injustice where is the god of justice i've got three points the servant servants and final judgment okay three points there in the passage god is bringing justice through his servant the word justice is mispat and it has a variety of meanings but two that i quite like are these and I, or that I think they're helpful. Um, first one is a very simple one, is to put the world to rights. That's what God is in the business of doing, putting the worlds to rights. And the second one, Tim Keller, I think, puts it like this, giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. The man, the servant... I'm sure you've worked out it's talking about Jesus if you've been around church for a while. Even verse 2 where it says, I delight in him, is an echo of the Jesus' baptism where the Father says, you're my son in whom I love, love, delight, chosen. They're all very similar words in Hebrew. And with you I am well pleased. Matthew 12 quotes this passage at length. Jesus is mission was to establish justice on earth. And it wasn't just for the Jews. It was for the non-Jews, the Gentiles. It was a wide scope and to set people free. God's heart is for the oppressed to set them free. He is wanting to bring justice and relieve injustice. Of course, much of this passage that we read in Isaiah 42 is quote is similar in Isaiah 61 that Jesus quotes in Luke 4 when he starts his ministry. This is central to what Jesus was about. 
this passage in Isaiah 42 is one of those remarkable passages of prophecy of Jesus and his coming. But how is he going to bring justice? I think there are two ways. He's not going to come by force and power, but what comes across here is his gentleness. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. You know, a bruised reed is quite weak, isn't it? You know, you can easily break it, but Jesus is so gentle that he's not going to even break this bruised reed. Or a smouldering wick, I'm sure you will have touched a, a smouldering wick and it's just broken. You thought, oh, well, that's blown that candle, isn't it? Well, it's broken that candle. And um, he's um, just so gentle. A picture of gentleness, isn't it? And Jesus in his ministry came for three years and sought to bring justice and to care for the marginalized and the left out, caring for everyone. But in order to bring the world to right, Jesus also did something else. Our human hearts need to be transformed. Humanity needs to be reconnected to God in a fresh and living way. And so we come to the, the fourth servant song, is Isaiah 53, which talks about Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus transforming humanity, making a new humanity. Isaiah 53 says this, we, have all, we are all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Iniquity, what does that mean? That's a funny old word, isn't it? That means the brokenness of our hearts, the things that we have done wrong. And then later on it says, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. That sense of because he's died on the cross for our sins, we are justified, just as if we had never sinned. That we are clean and forgiven and we can come into this marvellous relationship with God. And then he can begin to put his Holy Spirit in every one of us and begin to transform us from the inside out. We have the very spirit of Jesus in us. So where is the God of justice? Where is justice? We, we're familiar with many injustices in this world. Ukraine, racism, women's rights, to name but just a few. And when I spoke about God's incomparable wisdom a few weeks ago, I spoke about suffering being due to God giving us free will. And us then using that incredible gift instead of loving people, not loving and causing suffering and sin in the world. And I'm not going to go on about that again today, except to say that that freedom that we have been given, obviously, is the cause of much and probably most of the injustice 
in the world. But God has set up the world, yes, with us, with freedom and free will. And he doesn't always come in and control that. But he is working in every situation. He is seeking to bring good because he is a good God. He is moving by his Holy Spirit. And I think one of the huge components is prayer. Prayer has a massive impact into that mix of human freedom and what God is trying to do. So prayer, as we've thought this morning, is powerful. So the first thought we had was God is bringing, God is trying to do something about justice through his servant. But the second point is he's trying to bring justice through his servants. That's you and I. We have a part to play in this world today. Just as Jesus sought to bring justice on the earth through his ministry, so us as transformed people, people who have the presence of God, are to call to go out and to set the captives free, to release the prisoners. You may remember the shocking news of the bombing of the maternity hospital in Kiev, Ukraine. Shortly after, I read an immensely encouraging message that was of what was happening on the ground in that event. There was a message that came to us from a YWAM team. That's a Christian group who are working in Kiev. Perhaps this is seven to ten days ago, and things move on very rapidly, don't they? But this was the report. For the last three days, there has been a storm raging on the Black Sea. It has been so ferocious that the Russian naval ships have not been able to dock at port. Also, just yesterday, my husband, Ruslan, got a phone call from a maternity ward in a small town just outside of Kiev that had been destroyed from the bombing. The maternity ward was in desperate need of all supplies and, and gave him a list. He took the list, walked out the door of our building, and all of a sudden, a truck pulled up outside, out jumped a group of Norwegians who'd come over from the Y1 base in Romania. The van was full of humanitarian aid, including every item that was on the list from the maternity ward. Ruslan was able to direct the supplies to exactly where they were needed at that moment. And a further report from YWAM in Kiev said that they were feeding 150 people a day at their base. They were talking about how using eight kilos, kilos of macaroni is feeding 150 people. The food is being multiplied. And it's these stories are examples of how support and prayers by the body of Christ can actually make a difference in such terrible zones. And we're called to be the servants, aren't we? We're called to be the servants of God, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And in this passage, I don't know whether you noticed, but it says while Jesus is very gentle, 
he will not falter. There's a perseverance about Jesus. And that's where we so struggle as we begin to try and do the right things we know that God wants us to do. So often we're struggling, aren't we, and doing the right thing. But the wonderful thing in this passage is it talks about God holding the hand of the servant. And that promises to you and I as we struggle to persevere in doing the right thing, to come and to hold our hand. And so I just want to pause now and for us just to pray that, um, that's a bit louder, to pray that God, we would sense that and we would sense God's strength in whatever situation we are right now. So let's just pray. And if you maybe hold out your hands to receive the Holy Spirit from God. Holy Spirit, would you just come and strengthen your servants, each one. Each one is a servant, whether they feel qualified able you use the willing Lord would you just by your spirit come and hold their hand in their struggles to keep going to not falter and to honour you and serve you where they are. And in a state of prayer, it's, I had this picture of a, a toothbrush when we were praying down here. That's the word that God gave me, and I don't think God thinks you've all got bad teeth. But in this position of prayer, I think probably what God is saying, he wants to clean our hearts and lives, and it's an invitation to that. You know when you haven't brushed your teeth, you just feel dirty, don't you? And I think Jesus is giving us that invitation where you feel dirty to, to feel his cleansing and his love and his grace. You know, Isaiah felt dirty in his mouth, didn't he? My words, unclean lips. And God touched him with that grace, so gr that coal so graciously that he wants to do. So that was my, my two points. The first point was the servant that Jesus is beginning to bring about the world to rights by transforming humanity and beginning to transform us, the servants. That's my second point. The third point is final judgment. We don't like to talk about that very often, but we need to now and again. You see, um, if there is no God then sometimes people get away with it in this life, don't they? Or they seem to, in my opinion. Many examples we could give. What about Jeffrey Epstein? The, the way that he has dealt with things and then commits suicide and seemingly gets away. Adolf Hitler was a very similar situation. The carnage that he created and then he commits suicide right at the end, never really brought to justice. What about Putin. Will he be brought to justice? We don't know. 
it seems to us these situations are grossly unfair, unjust. But we do have a God of justice. And each of us, not just these people, but you and I too, will have to give account for what we've done. So let's read again from Isaiah 45, verse 21. There is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. And they will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. Verse 24, they will all bow the knee. And those who've raged against God will be put to shame. And, he, and the very last words of Isaiah in chapter 66, quite sobering reading, again echoes these thoughts that every knee will bow before God. And this does raise questions in our minds, but in the final analysis... We find justice for the evildoers. But those that are saved, verse, 40, verse 25, are those that boast in the Lord. It's not what the people that are saved, it's not what they've done. It's about what God has done in Jesus, the suffering servant, that says, you can, it's, it's him that's done it. Again, Isaiah 53 we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, all, of us all. That Jesus forgives us. His death on the cross has dealt with our sin. But what I find amazing with this passage as well is that you might have noticed that God seems to bang on and say, I'm the only God, I'm the only saviour. And yet here, and yet Paul in Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Equating Jesus with Yahweh, equating Jesus with the Lord God. So Jesus is both the suffering servant that dies upon the cross and our divine Lord. We thought about the vision of God. What is our vision of God? And that is so important. The vision is Jesus. What is your vision of God? Is he one who whips us? Or is he one that whispers love, encouraging us to come into his presence? Truly, our God is incomparable. 
He calls the stars, the billion, trillion, or whatever, how many million, whatever zillion stars there are. He calls them into name, doesn't he? And then there's that 8.7 different million species that he has created. An incredible God who's so incomparable. And the one who's incomparably great love that he comes and he whispers in your and my ear, wanting us to know him. And it says in Isaiah that he carries us close to his heart. Did you know that? He carries you close to his heart. And then there's justice. That he is a God of justice that will put the world to rights. And there will be no more sin or mourning or death or crying. When Isaiah saw the Lord in chapter 6... He sees the incredible reality of God and everything else just pales into insignificance. And he sees the incredible nature of God, but also his own sin. And then he sees God's generous grace that touches him where he really, really needs God. And then he hears God say, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God is saying, today, who will go? Who shall I send? I want to leave you just for a few moments with these two questions. You can either just think about it yourself or share amongst people that you know around you. What is our vision of God? And what is our response? So let's just spend a few moments thinking about that, okay?